listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. The scripture this morning is the parable of the dishonest manager found in Luke chapter 16. It's on page 851 in your pew Bible if you'd like to follow along. And uh, full disclosure, I can't figure this out, so I'm really hoping that uh, Dan's going to clarify it for us. Then Jesus said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was squandering his property. So he summoned him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give me an accounting of your management, because you cannot be my manager any longer. And the manager said to himself, What will I do now that my master is taking the position away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that when I am dismissed as manager, people may welcome me into their homes. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he asked the first, How much do you owe my master? He answered, A hundred jugs of olive oil. He said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it fifty. Then he asked another, And how much do you owe? He replied, a hundred containers of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and make it eighty. And his master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. Whoever is faithful in a very little is faithful also in much. And whoever is dishonest in a very little is dishonest also in much. If then you have not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, who will entrust you to the true riches? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? No slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Good morning again, everybody. <clears throat> Good morning. So um, we're a couple weeks into the fall small groups here at church. Um, we've got four small groups that are meeting right now um, on various days of the week, and all of them are studying this book called Inspired by Rachel Held Evans. It's this really awesome book. If you've been around for the last month or so, you've heard me talk about this book. Uh, it's a book about the Bible and what it looks like to really wrestle and grapple with the Bible. And um, in our first couple small group sessions, a big topic of discussion, at least in the groups that I'm part of, has been problematic passages of Scripture. Those parts of the Bible that trip us up for one reason or another. A lot of times it's the violent stuff, right? Like the Bible depicts a lot of war and genocide and like terribly violent stuff. Um, sometimes it's, it's stuff in the Bible that seems sexist or racist. There's a lot of patriarchy assumed in the pages of Scripture. Slavery was a thing when the Bible was written, and a lot of that is just kind of accepted as normal. And other times it's just stuff that's weird, stuff we don't understand, stuff that is just disturbing on one level or another. All that stuff can be things that trip us up when we come to the Bible. And I've noticed a lot of times when Christians talk about the problematic stuff in the Bible— We like to focus on the Old Testament. That's the Jewish half of the Bible. 
Um, because there's a lot of stuff in there that we find problematic, troubling, and hard to understand. But, and I've shared this with both of my small groups, I find a lot of problematic stuff in the New Testament as well, the Christian part of the Bible, kind of our half of the Bible. We like to pretend that all the, all the weird stuff is in the Old Testament, and our half is free of all that. But you don't have to read very far at all into the New Testament to find some pretty odd things. And our passage for today is one of those passages. It's not like we're not genocide-level bad with this passage, but it's a really weird story. Um, it's a confusing story that has some pretty problematic implications on the surface. We've been looking at the parables of Jesus for a number of weeks now. The parables are these short metaphorical stories Jesus tells in the Gospels that uncover some sort of deeper truth about what it looks like to follow God. And the parable of the dishonest manager has to be the worst one at all, of all. This is like, this is Jesus' worst parable. This is the one that like Bible studies usually skip over and pastors dread having to preach on. So of course I'm going to talk about it, right? <clears throat> I love making people uncomfortable. Just to give you a little play-by-play -play of this story to make sure we're all on the same page, the parable of the dishonest manager is a story Jesus tells about a manager who works for a wealthy landowner. And one day, that landowner finds out that the manager isn't doing a very good job. So he decides to fire him. Now, when the manager gets word of this, he freaks out a little bit, understandably. He's going to be out of a job. He's going to be left destitute. He doesn't know what to do. He's too proud to beg, and he's not really cut out for physical labor, which I can kind of appreciate that part of the story. <laughs> Maybe that resonates with some of you as well. So the manager hatches a plan. Before his boss can fire him, he goes around to all the folks who are in debt to his master, and he fixes the books. He takes down what they owe. He gives them all a huge discount. One guy owes the master 100 jugs of olive oil. The manager makes it 50. Another person owes 100 bushels of wheat. The manager drops it down to 80. He does all this, seemingly ripping off his boss, because he knows that he's going to be out of a job soon. And so all these people will owe him one. And maybe in return for his dishonesty, these folks will help him out when he's in need. Are we following that story so far? We're keeping up? Okay, good. This is where it gets confusing. So the rich guy, the boss, he finds out what the manager's up to, and he commends him for it. He congratulates the manager for being so shrewd, so clever. Check out uh, verse 8, which will be on the screen. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. What is that about? And if, if that's got you scratching your head, the next line, this is the kicker. Um, because Jesus seems to be on board with this as well. Here's, here's verse 9. This is Jesus <clears throat> commenting on this story. And I tell you, make friends of yourselves by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into eternal homes. The end. That's the story. Are we all good with that one? Apparently, apparently Jesus is cool with stealing with your boss. We're good? Communion. <laughs> no. No. 
This is a weird one. This is a really tricky one. Um, Jesus tells this story about bad people doing bad things, and he doesn't seem to have a problem with it. So what's actually going on here? Um, so every week when I put these sermons together, I look in commentaries, books about the Bible that kind of unpack it. That's how I prepare for these sermons. And I looked at a few for this one, and like half the commentators are just like, I don't know. Like they, these are people who have like studied the Bible their entire lives. They're like world-class Bible scholars. And half of them are just like, yeah, we don't, we don't really get it either. This, this is very funny to me. <laughs> I tell you that, though. I share this with you. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes I read the Bible, and it makes me feel kind of dumb. It makes me feel like I'm missing something. I come across a story like this that makes zero sense, and I'm just like, well, clearly there's something wrong with me. I don't get the message. And I take some comfort in knowing that we're not alone in that. that the people who are paid to do this stuff don't get it either. You can take consolation from that if you will. Now, I did dig a little bit deeper into this story, and I came across an interpretation that actually makes a lot of sense. It was the kind of thing that, like, when I read it, the light bulb just came on, and I was like, yes, of course, that's it. That's what this story is about. And with the time we have left today, I want to share that interpretation with you, and hopefully you'll have the same experience. If not, that's okay. You can go back to being confused. You have good company. Either way. So to unpack this story a bit, um, it's helpful to know a little something about the world of Jesus, first century Judea. It was not a great time to be alive. Uh, There was no middle class. You basically had two classes. You had the extremely rich and the extremely poor. There was no middle. And if you were in the poor category, which, which most people were, you'd be lucky to get a job from a rich person that would pay you enough to scrape by. That's the situation of the manager in this parable. He's a poor guy working for a rich guy. Suddenly, the story gets a bit more relatable for some of us, maybe. First century Judea was also an agrarian society. Most people made their living off of the land. But the land ownership system was extremely unjust. So most of the land was owned by the rich, Uh, A handful of very, very wealthy people owned everything. Um, And these would have been people like the rich man in this story, the master. Over time, often over many generations, the upper class had bought up all the farmland from the poor farmers. Now, originally, when the Israelites first came into the land, the promised land, centuries before all this, Every family got their own plot of land. Every household was given land. And the idea was that that land was supposed to belong to these farming families forever. The Old Testament, the Jewish part of the Bible, um, actually has a lot of laws in it that are intended to protect people from losing their land. We looked at some of these over the summer when we talked about Old Testament economics. Um, There was a law that made interest illegal. If you gave someone a loan, you could not charge interest on that loan. There was another law called Jubilee, where every 50 years, all debts were supposed to be canceled and all land returned to its original owners. The idea being that if your family fell into debt and lost the farm within a generation or so, they got the farm back. It's like an economic reset for the whole country. But if you fast forward a few centuries to the time of Jesus, all those laws and all those protections were gone. 
handful of rich folks owned everything. And if you were a farmer, chances are you were a tenant farmer. You were working your ancestral land, the land that was promised to your family forever, except that it didn't belong to you anymore. And in order to survive, you had to give the bulk of your crops to the landowner. So this dishonest manager and his boss, the wealthy landowner, and these folks who owe 100 bushels of this or 100 jugs of that, that's the economic system that they're existing within. The whole system is dishonest. We call this story the dishonest manager, but it's the whole system that's dishonest, broken, and corrupt. One commentator I came across, he argued that this story shouldn't actually be called the dishonest manager at all. He suggested changing the name to the manager who switched sides. You see, the manager in this story, he's not a good guy. This manager is willingly participating in an unjust system. He's the one who would keep track of who owes his boss what and then go around threatening and hassling these poor farmers until they paid up. That was his job. The manager's the bad guy, and his boss is even worse. We've talked about this before with other parables, but whenever Jesus tells a story and there's a character who's described as a rich man, they are almost always the bad guy. Things rarely work work out well for the rich man in Jesus' parables. In fact, rich people in Jesus' parables, they're either like giving away all their wealth, throwing like lavish parties where they invite the poor and the outsiders, or they're the villain. That's basically your two options if you're a rich man in Jesus' parables. Next week, we're going to look at the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, uh, which is a heartwarming story about a guy who goes to hell And the only explanation Jesus gives for why this guy is in hell is because he's rich. So that's going to be a fun one. Make sure you you come back for that next week. Don't miss that. This manager is surviving by being a part of this system. He's figured out that in order to survive in this unjust, cutthroat world, he's got to ally himself with someone in power. And that works for him for a while until it doesn't. The manager gets word that judgment is coming. The shoe has dropped. Pretty soon he's going to be out of a job and penniless, and so he switches sides. The dishonest manager becomes an advocate for the people he was previously exploiting. Now he does it dishonestly, right, and with totally bad motivations. He goes around fixing the books, and this isn't out of the goodness of his heart. He hasn't had some sort of like transformation or or come to Jesus moment. He's looking out for himself, but he still does it. Bad motivations or not, the system stops working for this guy, so he changes sides. With all that background and context, let's reread Jesus' explanation of this parable in verses 8 and 9. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the children of light. 
And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. What is Jesus trying to tell us in this strange story about bad people in a broken system doing dishonest The rich man and the manager are children of this age. They're invested as the world as it presently exists because it profits them. But when it stops working for them, the manager, when he finds out judgment is coming, he changes sides. And we, followers of Jesus, are supposed to be children of light. We're called to be citizens of God's kingdom, not invested in the kingdoms and the powers of this world. And just like the manager in this parable, we know that a judgment is coming. God is coming to set the wrong things right. But how many of us are still invested in all the systems and structures of this world? because they profit us in some way. The manager finds out the jig is up, and he switches gears right away out of self-preservation. How many of us know judgment is coming, and we just keep moving right along like everything is fine? We all participate in unjust systems, and I include myself in that. Some systems we participate in willingly, some we do unthinkingly, and some we participate in because we just don't know of other options. But imagine the difference it would make if we all just opted out. If we refused to take part in any system that depended on the exploitation of someone else. Or if we all started subverting the unjust systems of which we're a part. I'm not saying you should steal from your boss, but I bet we all have a few things we could probably change if we decided to live in a more just and Christ-like way. Maybe that looks like changing your consumption habits, changing where you shop, or the industries you support and participate in. Maybe that looks like rearranging your investment portfolio. Maybe changing the way you vote. If your job is part of an unjust system, if like your livelihood depends on being part of an industry that exploits the poor in some way, getting out of that system is no easy task. That could be terrifying. That could mean a career change, going back to school, a five or 10 year plan to make a change and get out. Yesterday here at church, we had the dinner benefiting World Relief. Uh, We raised money for immigrant families, refugee families at the border, and all that happened because a handful of folks in our congregation saw the news, the news stories over the last year, families being separated, refugees turned away, and they decided to do something about it. We have so much power agency as Christians living in the United States. I think we often overlook just how much power we have. 
We live in the richest country the world has ever seen. The country that uses the most resources and sets the playing field for everybody else. Decisions we make, policies we enact, ways that we use our resources and spend our money have ripple effects across the world. There's 330 million people in the United States, give or take. And about 70% of them identify as Christians. Could you imagine if just a fraction opted out? If we refuse to participate in anything that depends on the exploitation of someone else, the whole system would collapse. Entire industries would have to change or face extinction. Read in this light, the, the parable of the dishonest manager is a really dangerous story. Jesus was killed for telling stories like this. The Romans didn't execute Jesus for like being a good guy and telling his followers to love their enemies. Jesus was killed because he spoke out against an unjust system and he called his disciples, he called us to do the same. He called us to be part of a different kingdom, the kingdom of God, and to serve that kingdom exclusively. Because after all, to quote Jesus, no one can serve two masters. You will either hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Let's pray. God, thank you for unsettling, disturbing stories that bring up some hard choices. Thank you for lifting up flawed, imperfect heroes like the dishonest manager to inspire us to live more justly. Help us, Lord. Help us to truly love mercy, do justice, and walk humbly with you. Open our eyes to the broken systems and power structures that we accept as normal, and give us the strength to make a change. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at Brockport FB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.